This week on the Recruitment Flex, are we experiencing a wage shortage, not a talent shortage? The six recruiting skills you need right now. Refusing to work overtime ruled illegal in one case, and California jumps on the train. Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Welcome to another week of the Recruitment Flex. I'm Serge and joined by, I don't know what you are, Shelly, but you're special. Shelly Billinghurst. (laughs) Hi, Serge. Thank you. Always a unique warm up there for sure. We were just talking, I I think deep at heart, you're a bit of a tech geek. Is that a fair statement? I don't know if I'm a tech geek. We were talking about the podcast equipment that I'm bringing to HR Tech. And how many videos have you watched about it? Oh, like 20 videos. I want to make sure I'm running that machine correctly because it's a brand new machine, right? It's a portable recorder that has everything that you need to be able to record a podcast anywhere. And and honestly, we've been relying on our mics attached to our laptops. It's time to step up our game because we're going to do a lot more face-to-face. While we're at HR Tech, we need the equipment with us because there's a lot of people we're going to be talking to. And we need state of the art because Shelly, like we're in the major leagues, right? Yeah, like, no I know. More of this, but I just uh, thought minor league thing. I just thought it was so adorable how excited you got to show me the equipment and how much you've practiced on it. Make sure you've mastered it. Like, I just love it, and I have to say, I really am leaning on you to get that done. So thank you for doing that. And yes, HR Tech is going to be an opportunity I honestly have dreamed of for the last ten years to be able to talk to tech founders, find out what's going on underneath the hood and being able to interview them and ask them questions. Yeah, I'm super excited about HR tech. It's going to be so fun. Do you know what I found interesting? HR tech is really geared towards companies coming in and checking out what's new, what's latest. And I can't imagine being a talent acquisition professional and coming into this hall with 2000 vendors. I'm exaggerating, but it's a lot of vendors. Like how overwhelming would it be? Because everyone I've talked to that is going, they're all industry folks. They're actually not talent acquisition people. Practitioners, yeah. I don't know what the split is going to be. Is it going to be 80% industry folks, 20% talent acquisition folks? I I guess in the past it was like 50-50. I don't okay. think that's the case this year. I guess we'll see. But- it will be interesting. I I would actually predict the opposite. I do believe that more TA practitioners and those who are in a position to be making decisions about technology and what tools are needed to support their team and recruitment, I think we're going to see a lot more people coming who are practitioners because we need tools. We can't be relying on the same old thing. We know there's so many changes. So I'm thinking there's going to be more, but you're right. I I had this vision that it's almost like throwing a piece of meat into the lion's den. And I'm sure they color code your placards so they know who should be a victim. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. And and Shelly, by the way, I talked to a bunch of people that are going, guess where everyone is staying? At the Luxor. So we are in good company. It's funny, the CTO at the company that I work with is coming and he booked too late, couldn't get the Luxor. So he's at the Excalibur, which I guess is even worse. But I'm, like, I'm not going to say anything. But <laughs> you're going to accuse me of being a snob. Well, you are but a snob. I mean, you were the, okay. A lovely it, it snob. Was, 
it was your company that rented a castle for Christ's sake. When you wrote in New Brunswick? And the castle was gorgeous, but it's Moncton, Brunswick. The pricing was a little bit different. It was really nice. I do love nice things Mm. when I don't have to pay for it. That makes a big difference for me. If I'm not paying for something, man, I'm all about the luxury. Um, (laughs) Talking about luxury. So last weekend was Labor Day weekend here in Canada and the US. Had a great weekend with the girls. And I thought of you because I went to the Pride Parade and my girls absolutely loved it. What's not to love? Like beautiful dresses, balloons, music, people dancing, throwing candy. Which I know why they do it because kids just love that shit. And yeah. so they come home with a massive bag of candy and they've been annoying me for three days being like, can I get a candy? Which is what I hate about parades, but... They had a great time. Why didn't I see you there? It's oh, your jam. I'm sorry, Brooke and I went to RuPaul's Drag Race, Work the World. And part of that show, I also got VIP meet and greets with the drag queens. If you know who Naomi Smalls is, she complimented me like over and over again on my hair. And I said to Brooklyn for days, Naomi Smalls thinks my hair is great. You know that, right? (laughs) Like it was such a starstruck moment. We met all the drag queens and then we had second row from the front, center stage for the show, for RuPaul's Drag Race Work the World. So why weren't we at Pride? Because we're big drag race fans. But Brooke had her J-O-B. She was working. Yeah. There you go. I would have loved to have gone. I saw the picture you posted on Instagram. And they've got those piggy tails that are sticking straight up. Oh, my God. That was so cute. They are pretty cute. I must agree. So I do want to comment on your hair. I agree with Naomi. Your hair looks (laughs) great. Because, like, Shelly, I got to admit, the first time I met you, and this is going back 10 years, you had the ultimate Karen hair. So I'm glad that you have evolved throughout the years. And you you now have have... a modern hairstyle. I did not have Karen hair. I did not. You did. It was on trend. My God, that was 2011. Your main profile picture until like last year (laughs) was still you with that Karen hair. Like it it hadn't changed. That was a picture from 2020. What are you talking about? Well, the one that you have the blazer on and everything. That's from 2020. So you had Karen hair in 2020. (laughs) I'm trying not to take this personally. No, your hair looks great now. It looks Thank like you, it looks perfect. So Thank you. I, I, this is my really bad way of giving you a compliment. <laughs> Fail. Okay. <laughs> how about we go on to some more topics? Oh my God. I'm going to start with the first one, which I absolutely love this article because it just reinforced that we do not have a labor shortage. We have A wage shortage. This article from the HR reporter was a study done in February to March 2022, labor force survey and job vacancy and wage survey from Statistics Canada. And the essence of this is there are certain industry sectors, mostly accommodation food services industries, which represents 14% of vacant jobs in Canada right now. They are posting the job at $15.85 an hour. But this survey loud and clear said, workers aren't willing to do that job for anything less than $18.84 an hour. Retail, which represents 10% of vacant jobs. Retail is posting jobs for $17.85 an hour, but workers aren't willing to go do that work for less than 23. 
So any surprises there, Serge? What did you think of this study? Yeah, no surprises. I'm glad someone finally quantified what it means, right? It really showed what the workers are willing to work at in that particular sector. I do still believe there is a labor shortage overall, right? But it doesn't mean it should affect every sector because there's a lot of people that do want to do those jobs, but they have other options that they didn't have in the past. True. So if you're going to go work in, say, retail, well, it's got to be worth your while because you can go work, say, as a receptionist or a maintenance assistant or something in the knowledge economy and make, say, $20 an hour. Why are you going to take a job that has less consistent hours, mm-hmm. is less flexible, you need to be at a location? I think it it nails it because one of the things a lot of people do say, and we've heard it and we've talked about it in the podcast, is young people don't want to work anymore. No, absolutely they want to work. And we've detailed that when we talked about your daughter, Brooklyn, as far as her experience when it came to applying to a job and going through the process, not exactly efficient, but then you combine on top of that wages that are not where they want it to be. And we can all think of when I was a kid, I'd be happy to make minimum wage. Well, guess what? This is a different generation. The Mm -hmm. labor force is completely different. So the ability to quantify what you need to pay to get those people in those particular roles should be eye-opening. And this should be broadcast to a lot of business owners and giving them a reality check. It's really clear. Uh, We have a high labor participation rate. Like people are working, but they're working at jobs that pay them what the market value is right now. And if you think that's too much, well, that's your problem as a business owner. When it flips on the other side, no business owners are complaining that we're paying our employees too low. We should be paying them more. That never happens. So deal with the reality, pay them more, or you don't have a viable business. Well, One other alternative I would add, if you're not willing to pay that, then you need to reduce what it is you're looking for. Yeah. Because what this survey tells us clearly is if you want someone with all the things you're asking for, somebody who has those is not willing to take the job at $15 an hour. So the only other option is either automate or reduce what it is you're asking for to match the wage you're willing to pay. Well, 100%. But a lot of these jobs are entry level. Say you're going to go work in McDonald's. You are going to hire people with no experience, no knowledge. But that doesn't mean that they shouldn't be paid eighteen eighty four an hour because that is the going rate in a mm-hmm. capitalistic society. Mm-hmm. We rail against both sides, but that is what the market is dictating. Even if they are brand new, you might still have to pay them that amount. You disagree? You looked at me with a cross eye there. <laughs> So here's the reality, Serge. If somebody posted a job and 50 people apply, you can't say, this is my top applicant for this job. This applicant is saying, I'll do it for $18.84 an hour. And you're saying, no, it pays $15. Where's the other 49 people that applied that aren't as good as your number one pick? You're going to have to go to your B list, C list, and probably end of the barrel to find someone that is willing to accept your wage and is close enough of a match 
It may mean you're going to have to train more, more onboarding, but you can't have it both ways is really what I take away from this. You're making an assumption that there is 50 applicants for a role at McDonald's or retail location or whatever the case is. I doubt that you're seeing 50 people apply for a retail role right now. Okay. I'll get you some data and I'll prove you wrong. Okay. Prove me wrong. Because they are getting applicants. The ones that are excluded obviously are foreign applicants that aren't even in the country. Even in the most competitive spaces, it's still 19 to 36 applicants. Like It's not one or two. The one or two are companies that have this long laundry list of job requirements and they won't disclose what the pay rate is. You know, and they're looking for a lawyer who's got merger and acquisition experience and 10 years in litigation. Well, that means there's three people that have those skills. Well, show me the data. I might be wrong. Everybody's got access to the insight reports. A hundred percent. And I think this segues perfectly into the next topic. The top six recruiting skills that you need to be successful right now. And the first skill falls exactly into what you just said is the ability to analyze Mm -hmm. data, how to use data. The biggest challenge across the board is the ability to influence other departments, hiring managers, the executives. If you can take data and create a story and build a business case around it to get that tool that automates a part of your job and gives you the better ATS, gives you the better process overall, the ability to use data is absolutely critical right now. I think it's probably the number one skill that recruiters should have in this new world. Any arguments on the first one? No. And I'm so glad that is number one on the list because you need to understand what the data is telling us. Like what exactly is the supply out there? If you're asking for all these requirements on your job requisition, let me show you. And it's not just my opinion. Let me get you the report and the data that shows that in this job family, there are seven people in all of LinkedIn with these skills. Well, you, you know, I'm not a magician pre- here. <laughs> you already preempted skill number two, because skill number two mm-hmm. is the ability to build market and talent intelligence yep. that builds directly off one. If you can understand sure. data, where to get the data, how to interpret the data, the ability to go to your executives and share, okay, this is what the market is telling us. There's a lot of reputable yeah. firms that spend tons of time analyzing the labor market. That data is so critical and no one else in the organization is really going to dig in for that. So as a recruiter, you can take that in hand and build a skill around it and really understand it. Man, you are in a really good position. Agreed. Agreed. Number three. Well, three to me goes to the top. We had Katrina Collier on the Mm -hmm. show a couple of weeks ago talking about the importance of human relationships. One of the biggest things is the ability to build relationships with your hiring managers, with your colleagues, with your candidates is going to be, in my opinion, the number one skill that we should all have. Because we talked about automation, we talk about AI, we talk about all these Mm -hmm. tools. But the human factor is never going to go away and it can be the differentiator for you as a recruiter as well. Being really good at building relationships, especially internal, because that's where we sometimes fail. We don't build the relationships where our hiring managers, we think our hiring managers are a little bit of a pain in the ass because they want this and this. But we don't look at it from where they're coming. They're not experts. They might think they're experts, but we're not building a relationship to help them see 
what the true picture is. Number four, understanding and embracing technology. We talked about the difference between a recruiter, talent acquisition professional. A talent acquisition professional can tell you which are the best ATS, why they're the best ATS, why this particular texting technology is better than the other ones. They're doing research. They're having conversations to understand what tools can I leverage to make me better at my job. And we fail. We fail on this because I don't know how many recruiters take jobs at companies with shitty ATS and it makes them struggle at their job. I've said this and it sounds very arrogant, but I will never lead a talent acquisition team at a company that's not leveraging good technology because I live in that shit 90% of my day. Mm -hmm. Better be good. But it seems like we don't even consider that in a lot of cases. So what's your thought on that? The understanding and embracing technology. Well, so it's asking someone to do a job and then giving them crayons and string. I'm the same way. Come on. Like, how do you expect me to do my job? And it really does tie in with building those relationships, though. If your leadership understand that you need tools to do your job, I don't know a single company out there that would say no. But whose job is it to help your leadership understand what tools you need? Well, that's what talent acquisition does. You need to advocate for the fact that we need decent technology. So I am not spending or someone on my team isn't spending, say, 10 or 12 hours a week just trying to book interviews. Please, there's tools for that. Let's leverage those tools. By the same token, if you've got an applicant tracking system that your hiring leaders don't ever want to log into or it is so difficult to navigate, yeah, that does make your job in TA near impossible, right? I completely agree. I think the other aspect of it is understanding the recruiting sites, like understanding how Indeed Mm. works, how programmatic works, how LinkedIn works, because there's too many times that people spend a budget, say on Indeed, and they have no clue how the cost per click is calculated. You can literally Google that. If you don't, Indeed's not going to tell you that you're spending too much. That will never be the case unless you're working with a marketing agency that's helping you with that spend. They're Mm -hmm. always going to tell you to spend more. If you don't understand, you're going to get bamboozled and it's going to be your fault because you should understand the technology that you're spending your budget on. The last Nice plug there, Serge. Thank you. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Call Shelly at Higher Call Shelly. She'll tell you what the real scoop is. The two last skills, and they're pretty straightforward, and I think they apply to every role in the universe right now, being very flexible and agile because we are moving at breakneck speed and you have the ability to move and be resilient in what you're doing is critical. The last one, and it goes to building relationships, being a networker. And when Mm -hmm. I say being a networker, It doesn't mean going to these boring network events where it's awkward for everyone. A lot of people think networking is what can I get out of them, right? Take it completely opposite. How can I provide value to this person? I'll tell you, the universe is a great place. Karma will always Mm -hmm. come to you if you do the right things. But being a networker and understanding all the moving parts in a particular sector that you're recruiting in, absolutely critical. Do you disagree with any of these, Shelly? No. Do you know what, Serge? I would say of all these skills, one of the things I'm not as good at is networking. I do have a large network of people that I know, but I know I can always do better. I remember, you know, when we first started the podcast, our motto was like, just give, give, give. What you get back, you're right. The universe will take care of it. 
karma is, is a wonderful thing for sure. It is. So Serge, here in Alberta, we've got a really interesting thing happening with some workers in Fort McMurray. So for those of you in our audience, Fort McMurray is part of what is referred to as the oil sands of our province, a big part of the Canadian economy. There is a group of workers that got together and decided they were going to participate for a number of reasons in what we have been calling quiet quitting. For them, it was refusing to do overtime. It was positioned to them that overtime was voluntary. And so they banded together to pressure their employer for higher pay and more time off by stopping or refusing to accept voluntary overtime. This company goes to our governing body here in Alberta, the Alberta Labor Relations Board, and they got a ruling that said that they are on an illegal strike by doing this. The headline is very shocking that you would call this an illegal strike. The part of this that I believe makes it illegal is the fact that they colluded together, refusing voluntary overtime as their lever for higher pay and more time off, which is illegal because you do have to go into bargaining if you want more money and more time off. The company, which is called Aluma Safeway, they're getting a ton of bad press about this because it makes it look like, that's crazy, voluntary overtime, how can that be an illegal strike? The part of the story that you really have to dig under is the fact that they colluded without going into bargaining, which isn't fair. What was your take on this story, Serge? I'm all over the place with this. If we put in perspective of, say, knowledge workers, we can refuse overtime work anytime that we do want, but obviously we're not part of a union, the great majority. So my first thought when I read this, I'm like, well, that's bullshit. You can't force people to work overtime. But digging in, I'm like, okay, they colluded. You're 100% Mm -hmm. right. It's a very unique situation. They really fucked up by having the collusion leaked out because if not there's no case you cannot force people to work overtime if they don't want to but take a flip side so my brother worked in fort mcmurray and there's been a lot of pressure on people to work overtime because they're feeling the same pinch when it comes to labor they can't find people even though these are some of the best highest paying jobs in the world, in your trade, if you are working in any particular trade in Fort McMurray, you're probably making really good money, but they rely heavily on overtime to make the wages that they do because no offense to Fort Mac, the only reason you're (laughs) going there is to make make money. money. So you're going there, you're going to work, then you hope that you get overtime so you can make a lot of money. Your expectancy to work there is usually five years, right? Five to 10 years. You're usually coming from a different part of the country. You move there to do that work. I just think it's been positioned wrong. I'm not on board with it. I'm never on board of any company forcing overtime if you don't want to but it just doesn't seem like it's the trend. These workers have been known to want to work overtime because of the significant pay that they do for working overtime. Is this the right way to approach it? Probably not, but I do think they have some pretty good points when it comes to what is expected of these workers. They just approach it the wrong way. Yeah, I I agree. And I think the fact is it was the employees that had to have voted in a collective agreement, not the company. Yeah. So hold on a minute. 
now the employees are saying, well, we want to change. We want more pay and we want better working conditions. Well, no, you go to your union for that. You go to your union and you say to your union, we want more money and better working conditions. It's the union's job to go negotiate with a company. What these workers did was they went around all of it and decided they were just going to take this upon themselves. The way this was reported is actually pretty deceptive in a way. Like unless you understand collective bargaining and how the laws work, this sounds like the company was in the wrong and that the Alberta Labor Board somehow is in the wrong, but they're not. The employees, like they were the ones that voted their collective agreement into place. This was not foist upon them by the company, just the opposite. No, I agree with that. But let's put in perspective, if the economy was different and there was a lot of workers, they, they've gone out to the market, hire new people, and it would probably have laid off or let go of these people that are refusing overtime. So their union protects them from that happening. Very good point. I do want to end this episode of Recruitment Flex with a topic that we've said many times that the train has left the station. Pay transparency is coming and we just saw the latest update. So California lawmakers passed on Tuesday a law called SB 1162 that would require employers in the state to provide pay range when they announce, post, publish, or otherwise make a job available. They had an existing pay transparency requirements, but it wasn't at the job posting levels. I don't want to talk too much about it, Shelly. We've talked so much about pay transparency, but it's just another example of, hey guys, it's coming. Get your shit in line. Start posting your race because it's going to be the law. Do you want to be ahead of the curve or do you want to wait till the train has left the station? Well, so consider the population of California is more than all of Canada. And let's layer on the population of New York City. You've got two of the biggest populations in all of the United States have said, we want pay transparency, and we're going to pass a law because employers aren't going to do it voluntarily. That's pretty powerful. It is pretty powerful. In the next couple of weeks, I want to talk about another aspect that California just launch as well, or in the the process of trying to legislate, which I think is absolutely crazy. They're mandating fast food or any quick service restaurant that has a hundred franchisees or more to pay a minimum wage. I think it's $22, but not the same requirements for fast food restaurants that only have say 40 branches, their minimum wage can stay at $15. That's absolutely crazy. So I do want to dig into that and get the yes, full story on that because fairness. But Shelly, another great episode of Recruitment Flex. What do you have going on? I'm just so excited about HR tech. I can hardly sleep. No, <laughs> Shelly, I have you booked for 12 hours a day. Like you better. I know we are going to build. We're going to be the hardest going working, full bore. And hardest we are, working podcasters in Vegas. Yes. And we're going to party a lot too, just because that's what you need to do. So Shelly, always a pleasure. Next week, there's two episodes. We don't know what they're going to look like, but they're coming. So thank you everyone for listening. We really appreciate it. Thank you. The world's best known investor and Wall Street expert, Warren Buffett, once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? 
Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.